The reading for this morning is Romans 4, 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Well, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Such a privilege to be with you all today. I've heard so much about you from my brother-in-law, Peter, and I do count uh, being brother-in-law to Peter as, as probably my greatest qualification. Um, uh, and it is nice. You can't choose your brother, brother-in-law, so it's, it's wonderful when you get such a great brother-in-law just by happenstance. Um, <laughs> and it's also a joy to be able to share with you a little bit about Zoe ministry and the work of these incredible orphans. Now, what I want to do is kind of couch that in Scripture, and what a fantastic Scripture we have today. Uh, we have the, the Romans with Paul referencing the Genesis 17, which is also in the lectionary, of the call of Abram and Sarai. And this is a pivotal text for us as Christians. It's a pivotal test, text in the whole of the Bible. You can't throw a rock in the Bible without hitting some reference to this calling. When Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, are called by God to be God's people, to parent not only a nation, but a multitude of nations, called in their old age. And, and God says, I will make this covenant with you. You will inherit this land. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Then we see the tracing out of that calling throughout the entire Old and New Testament. Uh, and we can, you can see it kind of unfold as we go through the text. You have Abraham's own story called to journey through a foreign land, and he and Sarah go, uh, not without fears, not without trepidation, not without doubts, but they go. They trust in the Lord, and that trust is reckoned to him as righteousness. Even when it comes to the near sacrifice of Isaac, nothing deters him from trust in the Lord God. And then we see the promise unfold with the patriarchs. You have Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, 
And in the midst of lies, cheating and deceit, which is all within their own families, you see the will of God unfolding. You see the people begin to multiply and become a greater people. Then you see slavery in Egypt and the deliverance from slavery by God with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand. And then you see the people on the verge of inheriting the promised land and going into the promised land and what it means to be part of God's people in a land flowing with milk and honey. You even see the people become restless and wanting kings and then beginning to turn away from trusting God to trust in themselves and the, the horrors of the exile. And then in the New Testament, we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his blood offers us the cup of the new covenant that we will celebrate when we have communion here. I give you a cup. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for salvation. This calling is a pivotal text throughout all of Scripture. And of course, it's a ridiculous calling. It's a calling of an elderly couple. As Paul said, what, what did he say in Romans? Even though he was almost dead, <laughs> he was called into this. Isn't that just horribly? Uh, isn't that just, just, just a, an abusive thing to say? Paul, Paul must have written that as a young man. Um, but even though Abraham, his body was almost dead, God calls him to be the father of a multitude of nations. It tells us something about God's character that he calls people not because of their qualification for the position, but because of their willingness to trust in God. What Abraham did that was so amazing is that he trusted in God and walked along this ridiculous calling because of his trust in the Lord. And that's a big lesson for us in Scripture. It's one of the primary threads. There's these threads that run throughout the Old and New Testament. And one of those primary threads is God calling us to trust in him. And that's why this story resonates with us so much. Because this story is not just Abraham's call, it's our call. It's not just Sarah's call, it's our call. It's not just their story or God's story or, or even a story that just tells us about the people of God. It's in a very real and tangible way our story. And the people and the characters that we see fulfilling God's promise in the, in the pages of the Bible, we're reflected in them. Now, don't feel too good about that. That's not necessarily a compliment um, when you read the characters in the Bible. It's kind of like Jesus being called the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Have you ever spent some time around sheep? They're the world's stupidest animals. It's not necessarily, and neither is it necessarily a compliment that we're like the characters in the Bible that fulfill God's calling because they're a group of liars and cheats and rogues and adulterers and prostitutes that drive God's story forward. Now that doesn't mean that those things are all okay because God calls us to holiness, but it does get across to us the lesson that God meets us where we are in our brokenness and pulls us forward if we have the trait of being willing to trust in God. That's one of the powers of those scriptures that can teach us what it means to be God's people. And one of the lessons that we learn in scripture is that it seems to be when the people are going through difficulty is when they tend to turn toward God. 40 years in the wilderness, they began to get the understanding that yeah, maybe we do depend on God after being fed with the manna and, and have the, the water spring from the rock. Um, maybe God is in charge. 
And one of the most um, kind of blatant examples of, of, of this theme of trusting in God comes in Deuteronomy when the people are just on the precipice of realizing the promise given in Genesis 17, when they are just on the precipice of inheriting the promised land. Let me read to you just an excerpt from Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with verse 11. It's God's warning to the people as they begin to enter the promised land. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpion. He made water to flow for you from the flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God. So when the people inherited the promised land, did they remember this warning? No, of course not. No, no, they, they, they began to think just as they had been warned that it was by their own power that they did these things, that they were masters of their own destiny, that they controlled their careers and their direction in life, and they began to drift away from God to untold troubles. In this too, we're reflected in the scriptures. This is our story as well. The danger that we face, especially having the privilege of living in the country that we live in, is that we can begin to think that we do it by our own power and not the power of God. The call to live as God's people is a powerful one, but the cost is trusting God as we walk that path. Now, one thing I like to do is use examples, and the Bible uses all kinds of examples, but sometimes it's nice to have a contemporary example. And so I want to use the example of a Rwandan orphan named Claudine. Now, it might sound a little odd to use a Rwandan orphan as an example, but, but Claudine has such a powerful story. Claudine was orphaned in Rwanda when she was five years old. Her mother passed away. Her father had passed away previous to that. Both of them had passed away from HIV AIDS related illnesses, uh, although they would never say that because the stigma of AIDS is so strong. Um, but, but that's what had happened. And during her mother's illness, the mud hut that they lived in collapsed for lack of repair. And so at the age of five years old, Claudine was both orphaned and homeless. And she had a three-year-old sister and a six-month-old baby to care for. It blows my imagination to think of a child actually making it, now that, especially now that I have a child of my own. I think, how can a five-year-old keep a three-year-old and a six-month baby alive? But somehow Claudine did. I remember the first time I met Claudine, it, it's when I had taken a, tri a trip over. We had a, a group of Texans and Floridians who had gone over to Rwanda and there were about 18 of us, and we were squished into Claudine's one-room uh, kind of mud place that she lived in, and, and we were hearing her story. And I'll never forget when she greeted us, she greeted us with a Bible in hand, and she passed out to each of us a scripture verse, and had us each read the scripture verse, and it contained a promise of scripture. 
And then she gave us a sermon that was one of the more powerful sermons I've ever heard. And then she told us her story. She told us about being five and having the three-year-old and the six-month-old baby. And we said, Claudine, how did you survive? And she said, well, I'd wake up in the morning, wherever we'd slept the night, usually by the side of the road, and we'd cover ourselves with banana leaves. And I'd get up and I'd strap the baby onto my back and I'd leave the three-year-old wherever we had stayed. And I'd go into the village and beg for food. And some days I would get enough food to feed us and some days I wasn't so lucky, but we survived that way. And then after about two years, there was an elderly woman in the village whose eyesight was failing and allowed the girls to live with her. And Claudine said life got a little better for a while. She couldn't feed us, but, but, but we could stay with her in exchange for doing household chores. Um, and then the woman passed away after a period of several more years and the children sold, the, the, the woman's children sold the house. And so Claudine and her sisters were again homeless. And Claudine shared with us, she said, at that point, I lost hope. I, I thought we would all die. I thought God had uh, maybe hated us or did not know us or had cursed us. And so I sent my middle sister, who was then seven years old, away to work as, uh, as house help for someone in another village. Um, and I stayed with the, the younger sister. But she said, then God intervened and, and someone did us a great kindness. And this was the great kindness. There was a family in the village who had a large animal shed and many animals. And they were worried that someone might steal an animal. And so they had Claudine and her younger sister live in the animal shed kind of as night guardsmen. And, and so in exchange for doing that, she was able to have shelter again. Seven years she lived in the animal shed. She went from begging for food to getting stronger and begging for work. And she would work all day and sometimes be paid and sometimes not be paid but they struggled along. Then after seven years, she was tired of the cows. She decided to move out on her own. And she made a, she, but she didn't have any money. And so she made a deal with the landlord that in exchange for two days labor a week, she would get the, the shelter. Now the difficulty is if you're working for food on a day-to-day -day basis and you take two days out to work for shelter, it means there's two days you know you won't have food. And so her family was eating maybe five or six meals a week. And it was around this period, Claudine was now 15 years old, that she heard that there was an orphan program coming into her community. The village chief sent out an invitation that Zoe was coming into the community. And so Claudine got excited. Usually if there's an orphan ministry coming into the community, it means it's a relief program and they're going to give you food at least. So she got her sack and she came to the Zoe meeting and she was immediately disappointed. Uh, I remember one person in our group before she got to that point in the story said, oh, Claudine, what was your first day with Zoe like? Expecting this flowery thing. She said, oh, it was a terrible day because I came to the meeting with my sack and I found out that they didn't give out food. But instead of receiving food, what Zoe's staff did, because Zoe's an empowerment program, they explained about empowerment talked to her about the possibility that tomorrow could be better than today. They had orphans that were a little further along in the three-year empowerment program uh, giving their testimony about how they had businesses and they were back in school and they were able to support themselves. And Claudine was just interested enough to give it a try. The Zoe staff also walked her through the Lord's Prayer and talked about what it meant to the group to call God Father as an African orphan and about God's unfailing love that extended even to them. 
because so many of these orphans feel beyond the reach of God's love. And so she gave it a try, and she immediately took to Zoe's trainings. She was, she was kind of a natural at business. She had several different businesses. She grew a vegetable garden, so she had a very, more varied diet, and she grew some sorghum. And with the sorghum, she started a separate business of making a sorghum drink. You get the grain, and you put it in water, and you stir it for about two weeks, and it becomes this high-energy drink. If you stir it for four weeks, it becomes this alcoholic drink, but we frown on that, so we don't let the orphans do it. Um, uh, <laughs> but she sold this sorghum drink. And then she started a used clothing business with two other orphans in her group. And, and then she uh, decided she wanted to even strive higher, and so she got vocational training. Zoe helped her with vocational training, because she had been orphaned since she was five. She couldn't go back to formal education. Her sister could, but it was too late for her. Um, so we offered vocational training, and she learned how to become a seamstress. And then we got her a startup kit with a sewing machine and the things she needed to do her trade. And she was, she was great at marketing, she did good work, and she had a big business uh, customer base immediately. Things were going well for her. She was a leader in her group, helping other children that were struggling more than her to kind of get, a, get, get ahead in life. She was speaking in churches about the blessings that God had given her that even her as an African orphan, God had reached out to her through the generosity of other people and allowed her to have a chance at life. And everything seemed to be on an upward trajectory. But then her group, because Zoe organizes the kids into working groups of about 60 to 100 children, um, and she was part of one of those groups, and her group noticed that she seemed to be regressing. Claudine seemed to be more tired than she had been in the past, and she seemed to be hungry again. And the group was concerned about her, so they, they, they notified Zoe's social worker, and the Zoe's social worker went and did a home visit. And immediately she saw the problem. Claudine had adopted six additional children. And the social worker just scratched her head and said, Claudine, why have you done this? It's too much for you. You were just getting your own life back on track. And Claudine said, I know, I didn't mean to do it, it was an accident. <laughs> she said, I saw these six children and their mother had died four months before and I remembered what it was like to walk in their shoes and I thought to myself, how can I claim the blessings of God? How can I speak in churches about what God has done in my life if I withhold what I have from these others? And so I invited them to my home just to give them a meal, just to tell them that I love them. And after eating and talking and loving on them, they would not leave. And so I asked them if they wanted to live with me, and they said they did. And so we're now living in this way, and it's difficult, but we are happy together. And it was, it was difficult because these children had been living homeless like she had been living, and so they had insect bites, and they had various maladies, and, and, and they just weren't well, so she would spend all night um, taking care of sick children and all day trying to work and taking naps in between work. So what the social worker did is she went back to the group because Claudine hadn't told her group what she had done and told the group what Claudine had done. And what the group decided to do is move her up on the list to get housing. Zoe gives housing grants. Uh, not enough to build the whole house, but enough for the expensive materials. And then the group decides who needs housing, and the group builds the house for that member. 
And, and so the group decided to move her up to the top of that list. And when I came back three months later, her group had built this extended home for her and her family. And the children's minds and bodies were beginning to clear that she had adopted. And they were starting to do businesses of their own. And you could see once again that upward trajectory. I think it's incredible to see the calling of God on the life of an African orphan who's not just praising God for what she has received from people that she has never met, but also then turning around and extending that blessing to others. Because that is part of our story. We have received blessings from God and we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And we take those blessings and let them pass through us to bless others. And in so doing, those blessings multiply in ways that we couldn't imagine. Not because we are the most qualified people to do that, but because we are the ones who trust in God that that is part of our calling. This is the joy of being part of the body of God and the joy of worshiping a God who can teach us what it means to be Christians through the example of an African orphan. This is the power of the gospel, and blessed is anyone who is not offended by it. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I want to remind you that Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Not a scattering of steps as we all head off in our own direction, but rather to line those steps up uh, with our three-year vision to raise a generation in faith, with our 12-month goal to kind of establish some good behaviors of vital Christianity so that the kids that are around us and in our families uh, can uh, catch those values and carry on that vital Christian faith as well. Uh, there's a great opportunity if you're not involved in a small group, uh, or I, I should say if you're not involved in a Sunday school class. I've heard some people say, I'm not going to a Sunday school class, you can't make me. Well, that's great. I'm not going to invite you to a Sunday school class. I'm going to invite you to a small group. Um, in fact, if you'd like to go to a small group at Mike Heather's house on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, it's a come and go group. Uh, we had 12 uh, last Sunday, and that wasn't even including me, I, or last Thursday, because I was sick. Um, it's a further conversation after the sermon. So we'll have some collected ideas. Uh, we'll put them up via email on the internet. Um, you can uh, call the church office and get access to that material. And then when you come, you don't hear me talk. Instead, we talk as a group. What does it mean to have heard that sermon? How are we different because of it? Where are the places that rubbed that uh, were difficult to swallow? Uh, it's a great opportunity uh, to live life together uh, in a faithful community. Uh, so I hope that you'll give the church office a call um, if you'd like to um, uh, be a part of Mike Heather's group. Uh, and if we outgrow Mike's place, guess what? We're coming to yours, so it'll be wonderful. Um, but for now, and if uh, today's the day that you'd like to explore joining this congregation, we'd love to have you. You're welcome to walk down during the closing hymn, which is Be Thou My Vision. Uh, we would love to uh, start that conversation of how you can be part of the family today. Why don't we close with Be Thou My Vision as David Hill comes to lead us in it. It's in the hymnal intentionally. We have those wonderful books. We thought we would use them. It's on page 451. Um, there will be no lyrics on the screens. So unless you got it by memory, uh, join us on page 451.
Joycelyn Grigson is our Stephen minister here in the front. Um, if you are in need of someone to pray with you or to arrange for care for yourself or someone else, uh, Joycelyn can take care of that. There's also the prayer room, which is the brown door right back there uh, that you're welcome to go and spend some time in prayer, either alone or with Joycelyn, however uh, the Spirit is leading you. Uh, and I do hope uh, that you'll be thinking about your next steps as we together become a high expectation community, caring for those around us, regardless of whether it's by blood uh, or by membership. It's just because we're part of God's world. Uh, why don't you grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction. You don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. And let's bow for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks. For there was one time that we thought that it all depended upon us. But now we've come into the gospel message, realizing that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from you. And so, Lord, as we go out, blessed to be a blessing, give us words and actions to share with others the great love that we found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.